Why don't you open your Bible with me to the book of Ephesians this morning? Ephesians chapter 1. And if you were with us two weeks ago, we began this series through the book of Ephesians. As we opened up in the first chapter, the first six verses, where Paul is writing this epistle to the church of Ephesus, to the Ephesians, and he's reminding them, he's telling us, here in the first few chapters, the believer's riches in Christ, that we are rich spiritually in Christ Jesus, and that God has a plan for your life. Now, he's explaining how rich we are in Jesus, how blessed you are in him, that he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. And now he's speaking these blessings in the first few chapters over their life, over our life as a church, who you are in Jesus, that your identity, your new identity, when you've given your life to him, is in Christ. You are in him. There's an identity crisis taking place in the world around us where people label themselves or identify themselves with desires of the flesh. But that should not be so for the believer. If the world wants to label you, if the people in the world want to label you or identify you, say, well, go ahead, say, I am blessed, I'm chosen, I am forgiven, I am redeemed in Jesus' name. You can identify me as that because that is the work of Jesus Christ in our life. And now as we realize this, we can come to him in worship with appreciation. We can come before him in gratitude. Here he's describing that work of salvation in the very first chapter, that we don't work for our salvation, but we work out our salvation. We're not working to be saved, he's saying. God loves you and he sent his son Jesus, so now you can be saved and work out your salvation. You can respond to that grace. Oftentimes we live a life that is very empty, futile, frustrated, discouraged because we are looking to be right with God by our works. But here he is telling us as he opens up this epistle here that we must first learn what he has done for us before we can do anything for him. He has blessed you with riches, with blessings, with benefits that we must understand. Now in order to understand those, you have to know this, that the riches of God were planned by the Father. They were purchased by the Son at the cross, by his blood, but then they were presented by the Holy Spirit. I'm going to say that again, that you would just really receive that this morning. The riches that are in Christ Jesus were now planned by God, the Father. They were purchased, those riches, by the Son, Jesus, and then they were presented by the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly how we are sealed in him, as we're going to read this morning. So he opened up the chapter one of the book of Ephesians by talking about the will of the Father. What is the will of the Father? Well, he says that we have grace and peace in God, the undeserved love, undeserved favor, and out of that we have peace. Because of his grace, now we have peace. What is peace? Some people think, well, peace is the absence of fear, (laughs) Well, peace is not the absence of fear. Peace is the presence of God. That is what true peace is. And he says you were called. God has called you for himself. And he has a plan and a purpose for your life. In fact, his plan as he called you to himself 
is that you would be holy and blameless unto him. The plan and the purpose as to why God has called you for him is that we would be separated for his use, that we would be holy, and that we would be blameless. So he describes it in verse 3 of Ephesians chapter 1. But we left off in verse 6 two weeks ago where it says that the plan of salvation exists to glorify himself. Now notice in God's plan and God's purpose before the foundations of the world, everything that God did, everything that God has done, and everything that God will do always exists for the glory of himself. He has done it in this way. So let's read here Ephesians 1 verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Having been known to us the mystery of his will according to the good pleasure which he purposed in himself, that in this dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom you also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchase, possession, to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we ask that this morning that you would remind us how blessed we are in you, how rich spiritually we are in you, Lord, the benefits, the blessings, your will, your purpose for our life, God. That we would not only experience your grace, but we would walk in it and know your peace. So we ask, Lord, today that you would remind us of that redemptive work of salvation. It is in Jesus' name we pray, and together we said, amen. If you like taking notes this morning, write the title of the message as Our Redemption in Christ. Our Redemption in Christ. Here in the first chapter of the book of Ephesians, he's explaining the work of salvation through redemption. And he says this in verse 7, in him, which are the two words that is used throughout as a theme in the six chapters of the epistle of Ephesians to let us understand that our entire relationship with God are in him or in the son so every time that you see the words in him circle that underline that remember that and it says in him we have redemption in him we have salvation but remember this we're in him we're not out of sight of him we're not in the world anymore we're in Christ Jesus as we've given our life to him and it says in him we're redeemed now notice this in order to be in him we first had to be redeemed. And this is exactly why he explains our justification that now we are right with God, now we can be in him because we have been redeemed. Now what does the word redeemed mean as we're gonna talk about it this morning? It means to purchase, it means to set free by paying a price. When you would redeem someone or a slave, you would pay the price. You would give deliverance by the payment of a price. 
that you would redeem them, set free or deliver. Now I want you to know that here in this chapter, in this verse, this word brought great hope, it brought great joy to these people. Because they were living in an ancient society that was built on slavery. We have to remember that Ephesus was the capital of the Roman Empire. And it was there in the Roman Empire that they had 60 million slaves. So when he's saying redeemed, he's using this Greek word, lutroo, lutroo. It not only means to purchase a slave, but it means to purchase a slave with the purpose of setting him free. (laughs) What What a beautiful meaning that we get in that word lutroo. It wasn't simply paying the price now of a slave, but it was for the purpose of setting that slave free. So to these people, this word redeem is loaded and is charged with meaning. Can you imagine what they believed, what they thought when they know they knew that in Christ they had been redeemed, they had been set free, that he has purchased our freedom and now we are free now from being slaves by him paying that price? But you would ask yourself even this morning, what have we been set free from? When we talk about redemption, that Christ paid the price to set us free, we must ask ourselves, what are we set free from? I'm going to give you three different points as to why we have been set free or what are we free from today so that redemption now becomes personal in your life. Or maybe today you came and you want redemption, you want to experience the power of God of redemption in your life. Well, we have been set free, number one, from the bondage of sin and the old life. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 6, verse 6, it says this, Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with. That we shall no longer be slaves of sin, for he who died has been freed from sin. We have died in Christ now. We have given our life to Jesus. Because of the cross of Christ, we have been forgiven. And now we have been set free from the bondage that we were in of sin and our old lifestyle. We no longer have to live that lifestyle anymore. In fact, there are times that that sin tries to pull us back in. And what does it do? It promises us freedom, but it gives us slavery. Sin promises us joy, and, and it gives us opportunity in thinking that in it we'll have joy, but it brings us pain. It promises oftentimes success, but ultimately sin gives us failure. And here he's reminding us we are free from being in bondage to an old life, and we are free from being in bondage to sin. Not only that, we're also free from the power of Satan and the world because of the blood of Jesus. What does the Bible say? Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. And now we've been set free. In fact, here in Galatians chapter 1 verse 4, it speaks of that. It says, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. What has he done in redeeming us? He's redeemed us from the bondage of sin in our old life. But Christ has also redeemed us. He has freed us so that we no longer are in bondage. We're delivered from this present evil age. This world no longer has power over us. We have victory now over the world, over sin, over Satan, because of the redemption in Christ. And and think about this. If we were slaves of this world still, we would be poor. (laughs) 
Well, because we're in Christ, now we are rich in Jesus. Because we're in Christ, now we receive those blessings and benefits. And then finally also, we've been free from the law. Galatians chapter five, verse one says this, stand fast therefore in the liberty by which Christ has made you free and don't be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. What does this mean? That the law was not there ever to save. Those 10 commandments were never there to to save us, that we would attain perfection through them. In fact, they were there to show us and to reveal to us our sin. And that we would now be free from any type of workspace relationship and know now that we are free from that because of what Christ did on the cross. His finished work makes us right with the Father. And you know what we can do now? We can now walk now in freedom without condemnation. What does the enemy always want to do in the life of the believer? Bring condemnation because of sin. In Romans 8, 1, it says, There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who don't walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. There is no condemnation. You have been set free. That's why when the enemy comes and he starts knocking on your door with condemnation, you say, Jesus, would you answer the door? (laughs) Because greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And what does the Bible say? Therefore, whom the Son has set free, he's free indeed. How many of us are free this morning because of Jesus Christ on the cross? Amen. But I want you to know this too, that true freedom is not doing your own thing. A lot of people in the world say, well, I'm free. I got to do my own thing. I do whatever I want. I don't need that church thing. I don't need to really read the Bible or fellowship with believers. I don't need Christ to be free. I'm doing my own thing. That's what true freedom is. No, true freedom is not doing your own thing. True freedom is doing the will of God. Because in there, you understand his plan for your life. But not only does he say that you have been set free, notice verse 7, it says, through his blood. We have been set free through his blood. This is what Christ used to pay for our redemption, for our freedom. It was through the blood of his son or because of the cross of Jesus. So when we come and we talk about communion and and the cup and the bread, we're remembering where our redemption comes from, how it was paid by the blood of Jesus Christ. And think about how beautiful this is, that the highest price that ever was paid was by the blood of Jesus Christ to pay for your freedom. And it could have not been any other way. It had to be by the blood of Jesus Christ. There could not have been another form to pay for the freedom that we enjoy right now. In fact, Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. Write this down, church. It says, knowing that you were not redeemed by corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. You weren't, pay, you weren't received your freedom because of someone that, that were, was able to afford it or something that, that could come in by a tradition or by a monetary substance. It says, no, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. This is the value of the love of God for his church, that there was only one way to pay for our freedom, and that was the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why we are justified freely through his grace because of the blood of the Son. But notice the blessing. Not only are we redeemed, notice in this verse, verse 7, we also are forgiven. We are forgiven, and he reminds us of that in that verse. And amen, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. 
Because of the blood of Jesus, we've experienced this freedom. But also in this freedom, we have been forgiven of our sins. Right there next to that word forgiven, write the words to carry away. You may find yourself today burdened or convicted because of sin. Well, notice this, through Christ Jesus, as he redeems us and he pays for the freedom so that you no longer live in bondage, he also forgives us. And what that means is that he carries away our sins. As Jesus died on the cross, he carried away our sins so that they would be never to be seen again. The psalmist says this in Psalms 103 verse 12, that as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. What a promise there, that we know that we are forgiven and he has taken our sins and he has carried them away because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and our sins are casted out as far as the east is from the west. Now, why has he done this? Think about the measure as to why Christ has done this. It all has to do with his love. He has done this work of redemption and explains this, even in this verse seven, according to the riches of his grace. Now, God has redeemed us. God has forgiven us. He's given us freedom. He has carried away our sin. But he has done this because of the riches of his grace, because of his great love. Some of us this morning need to be reminded of this, that God has great love for us. But we're here where it explains this according to the riches of his grace. He wants you to understand here because of God's riches how great his grace and love is to you. In fact, he says this and he explains it by using this word that he lavishes his grace on you. It's an extravagant grace. He's very generous in the way that he loves us. So he has done this in that he sent his son that through his blood he would pay for the price of our freedom, and we no longer are in bondage, but we have been set free. Now, what does this mean for you as a believer every single day? That no written accusation can stand against us. There's nothing that the enemy can condemn us of because our sins have been taken away by the blood of Jesus Christ. And think about this, the sin, it made us poor. <laughs> but, but God's grace has made us rich. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, if we confess our sins, what is he? Faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Christ has forgiven us and here now is the way on how we've become holy. This is the way how we become blameless as he's already mentioned in verse three because we've been set free, because we're not in bondage, because we've been delivered by the blood of Jesus Christ that he's poured out on our life, he's lavished it because of his extravagant grace and love for us. Now think about the measure in which he continues to do that. Verse eight explains it as it says this, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. You see, this is the grace of God active in our lives. Not only did he do this by forgiving you and setting you free, but his grace abounded. That word abound means it was more than enough. It was overflowing. God's love abounded in your life. It abounded to cover any type of sin so that there would be no sin that his grace cannot cover. And his grace abounded. It was poured out. He showered us 
with his kindness, he's saying, this is the measure of God's love for you and for me. What is the grace of God described as here? As an unmerited favor. It's God's favor, it's God's love that we did not deserve. Oftentimes we try to pledge and try to ask for that which we deserve. Well, I don't deserve that, we say. If we truly wanted what we deserve, it would be judgment. But what we receive, it's God's grace, it's its favor now. In fact, it abounded, it overflowed. The Bible says that where sin abounded, what happens? Grace abounded much more. This is the grace of God that has been poured upon the life of the believer. That now we can walk in that freedom because of his grace, because of his great love. But what does that grace produce in us? Because in verse 8, it says it made it abound towards us. And as this grace that is lavish and poured out towards us, what it does, it produces in us, as it explains in verse 8, all wisdom and prudence. You see, the grace of God is there so sufficient not only to carry us, not only to forgive us, not only to deliver us, but it's producing in us something. It describes it here in two words. It produces his grace in us all wisdom. And it produces in us spiritual understanding. You think about how God has forgiven you and then he has equipped you, he has enabled you to walk with him. So we are, yes, redeemed. We are then forgiven. But also we are enlightened. By his grace, he's given us wisdom, he's given us prudence. What is prudence? It's the effective use of wisdom. So that we would be enabled in handling daily affairs. (laughs) And God has said, you know what, because of my grace, I've poured it upon your life, you've been set free. Now you can walk in that grace And what it's going to produce in you, it's now wisdom that comes from God and also spiritual understanding. And with that comes discernment from the Lord. With that comes direction from the Lord. That the grace of God is carrying us in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Now do you see the blessings that he's offering us and he wants us to realize that we walk in and that we know? Oftentimes we don't realize this and we become very frustrated in life trying to work our salvation, frustrated, striving maybe, discouraged. And here he's saying, I want you to know that there are blessings on blessings that you have that are all in Christ Jesus. In fact, he says this in verse 9. Having been made known to us the mystery of his will. You see, God's redemption is so that we would know the mystery of his will. It has been revealed to us that mystery that he speaks of there in verse nine, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. God had a will, he had prepared a will, he has a plan. And the mystery of his will doesn't speak of something we think of mystery, sometimes we think, well that's something that is dark or eerie, something that we should not know, that it doesn't mean that. (laughs) Mystery means something that was previously hidden, a previously hidden truth from the Old Testament maybe, to these Gentile believers that they did not know, that they did not understand, that they, they, they thought of themselves as second-class citizens in, the, in God's family. And here he's introducing and he's welcoming them in and he's saying, no, you have to understand, God has revealed his mysterious will. He has made it crystal clear. His unknown plan, it's no longer hidden now. He has made it known to us. What is that plan? that it was his will 
to fulfill that good plan. And that's exactly what he says in this verse. In fact, he says, according to the good pleasure which he purposed in himself. What is it that brings God a good pleasure? That his plan would unfold of salvation. And that's exactly why he's explaining grace. Because it is God's good pleasure that his plan of salvation would unfold on this world that needs him. What is that plan? In fact, that plan has everything to do with God's timing. That plan has everything to do with God's administrative power. And it says it in verse 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, with which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. Now we think of these words where it says that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, and we think, what can that possibly mean? (laughs) There's so many now Bible scholars that look from verse 3 all the way to verse 15, and it is one of the most run-on sentences throughout the entire Bible. (laughs) And it takes us time to really unpack these verses, but here he's referring that God is outside of time. And God, because he's outside of time, He has already designed at the perfect time or in his timing. This is what it means, the dispensation of time. That God who is outside of timing, in his administration, in his arrangement of time, he had appointed a specific time, notice what he says, that he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are in earth in him. What is it that God's mysterious plan was? That he would gather everyone at just the right time, at his appointed time, he may gather together in one. Would you circle that word one? Because it speaks of unity there. That it no longer would be Jew or Gentile now, but in one he would fulfill his plan of salvation. It doesn't matter what the cultural background would be that all things would be in Christ, or this means that all things would be under the authority of Christ. Whether it's on heaven or whether it's on earth, that God would one day unite everything in Christ. You see, even today as we're sitting here and we're in Christ Jesus, in our sin nature, sin tears us apart every single day. Through pride, through jealousies, through envy, we're, we're torn apart through our sin. But in Christ, in the dispensation of time, at just the right time, we're going to experience a perfect unity as the body of Christ, and he's going to gather everything and everyone together under his authority. So what is he saying? He's laying out the plan of God, and that we are part of God's great eternal program. Just think about that. God had a specific plan. He had a purpose. He had a specific time. And he's unfolding this plan so that we would experience his grace and his goodness. (laughs) That we would know the goodness of God. And he continues to speak about it because now he says, because of that, in him we also obtain an inheritance. Now continue to circle and underline those places where it says in him. (laughs) Because everything of your relationship with the Lord, all the blessings and benefits are in him. But what does he explain here in verse 11? In him we've also obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Now just think about this. You have an inheritance. We are joint heirs in Christ. We have received 
and inheritance, it doesn't matter whether you were a Jewish person or a Gentile, here you have received an inheritance. Now what what has to take place for us to receive an inheritance today? Someone has to die. (laughs) And here he's saying you received an inheritance and you have an inheritance because Jesus died on the cross for your sins. You've been set free by his blood now. Now you have an inheritance from God because we're united with Christ. Just think about it today. If you received a call and somebody said, you know what, your family member that passed away has placed your name on their will and you have an inheritance. I think all of us would be excited to find out what that inheritance would be. (laughs) What is that inheritance? You know that someone would put my name on their will and now I can receive, I can be a beneficiary of that inheritance. Well, think about it this. God has a will and he has placed your name on his will so that you can receive an inheritance that is in Christ Jesus. And that's exactly what he's referring to right now. Amen. (laughs) Now, what is that will? What is that inheritance? It's the inheritance of being a part of the plan of God's salvation. In fact, he speaks of it here in verse 11. We've obtained, we've received that inheritance as we walk according to his will. Notice what it says being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. You see, God purposed a plan. He prepared a will before the foundation of the world. He prepared and he predestined from eternity's past his own will. And his will would be that we would receive his grace. And his will would be that we would receive this inheritance, that we would respond to it, to that that work of salvation. He has a will now for us. And in his will, we can receive an inheritance if we respond. And you see how he predestined it all? And what does that mean? Oftentimes, we become very nervous of that word. Predestined it all. What does it mean? Well, think of this word when you think of the word predestined. He has a purpose for your life. And he prepared that purpose before eternity's past he has a purpose he has a plan and he works out that plan as he says here according to the purpose of him who works all these things according to the counsel of his will now he unfolds this plan or he works that word works means he energizes this plan this plan is unfolded now he works it out all things according to the counsel or according to that which is a part of his will What does this tell us? That he carries out his plan that he established beforehand. He makes everything work out according to his plan of salvation. What does this mean for us? That it is the fingerprints of God all over your life. It's the fingerprints and the love of God all over your salvation. That he has a will, he has a plan because of his great love, because of his grace, that we would today respond and experience redemption. Now notice as he continues saying, to who? To those that have trusted in Christ. Verse 12, it says this, that we who trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Now what an amazing verse here. That we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. How do we trust in Christ? By making a conscience decision. Are you trusting in Christ today? Are you, are you trusting in self? 
Are you accepting, are you receiving, walking in that grace? Because here it speaks not only of God's sovereign plan, but it also now it speaks of our responsibility to respond to that plan. That you're trusting God's plan, that you're trusting God's will. In fact, when we trust him, what it does, it, it glories and it brings glory and praise to God. What does this tell us? That the purpose of his plan was to glorify himself. In fact, he explains that in that verse, verse 12, where he says, who first trusted in Christ should be to praise to the praise of his glory. It brings God great glory when we respond to his plan. It brings God great glory when we respond as sinners and say, Lord, we need you, Jesus. We're in bondage and we need your blood to set us free right now because of your grace, because of your great love. That right there brings us glory glory to the Lord that we can walk in his plan. But not only that, notice this, that redemption leads to transformation. You would think, well, you know, I've been redeemed. Has your life been changed? True redemption is followed by transformation. It's followed by a transformation in life. So he speaks of the Father's will. He's told us about the work of the Son. But notice how he speaks of the witness of the Spirit. Well, yes, now that you have been redeemed, the Holy Spirit comes inside of you and he changes your life to be transformed and be more as the image of Jesus. So he says this in verse 13, in him again, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth. Now he says you also. It wasn't not only the Jewish people, it wasn't only a certain sect of people, but you also Gentiles. You also believed, when did you believe? When you heard the word of truth and you trusted in it. You put your trust in the message of the word of truth. You notice this, we have to be able to take in the word of truth in order to trust it. What is the word of truth today for us? It's the good news that God saves you. The, the, word, the word of truth is how a sinner can become a saint separated unto God to be walking in the plan of God. That is the word of truth. And it's so important because it's great to trust him oftentimes for us when things are going well. But do you truly trust him when things get tough? Are you trusting him when you don't understand what he's doing in your life in places of suffering? In places where you have questions now? There are many times even right now there are people here that maybe come to church but don't truly trust him because they don't know him. You see, you can't trust someone that you don't know. This is exactly why he said, when you heard the word of truth and you were able to understand that truth that is set before us right now, you trusted in it and then you believed. And something took place for you as a believer when you believed. Notice what it says here in verse 13. It says, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation in whom you also believed. You put your trust in the plan of God and in his grace. But when you believe, notice what he says here, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So we are redeemed, we've been set free. We are forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are enlightened. Look at the blessings that he's presenting before us in all wisdom and prudence to live our daily life because of the grace of God. We are also now here as it speaks of sealed. 
This word was a very important word that the Ephesians can relate, relate to. Because there in the seaport of Ephesus was coming now goods from the east part of the world from Rome to the wholesale market of Ephesus. And what happened is when they would receive these goods there to that port, they would put them in crates now, and then they would close that crate before it went out to a specific town or marketplace, and then they would put a seal on that crate. And that would be used as a form of identification or ownership that those goods belonged to someone. So when he says that you were sealed, he's saying, this Holy Spirit that was promised to you is a mark of ownership in the lives of the believers. What does the sealing work for? Maybe you go and you, you want to get an official letter or, or document. You go and you say, you know what? Can you please put a seal on this? It needs to have a seal in order to be official, right? So when God's grace saved you, redeemed you, and provided you freedom because of the blood of Jesus Christ, he made it official, By sealing you with his Holy Spirit to make it a genuine now, authentic now believer by now placing the Holy Spirit in you. And notice this, the Holy Spirit is not only the proof of our position in Christ, it's also now the proof of our possession in Christ, that we belong to him. So what does he do? He gives us the Holy Spirit as our guarantee of future glory. But I want you to look at that verse, verse 13, because it says that, You were sealed having believed. You were not sealed before you believed. You were sealed after you believed. It was you responding to the grace of God. And now he's given you the Holy Spirit of promise. Why of promise? God promised the Holy Spirit to minister to us as believers. And notice this. Before we were in the world, we were living a life drowning in broken promises. How many times has someone promised you? I promise you. That if you would just trust me, that we're going to have a good life. <laughs> I promise you that if you would just get this degree and, and you would, it's going to give you opportunities in a job and you're going to find yourself so blessed in that and, and the promises in that and you find yourself empty, disillusioned and very disappointed. <laughs> or I promise you that, that if you would just do these things, you're going to find success in life. No, the promise of Jesus Christ, the promise that comes from the Father can be trusted, and it is in the Holy Spirit. We can hold fast to that promise. We can hold fast to those promises without wavering because God is faithful to give us the Holy Spirit. But notice how it serves in verse 14, the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee. He sealed us with the guarantee. You see, we have an inheritance, but that word inheritance now needs and requires a guarantee. What does a guarantee indicate? That we are redeemed in our soul, yes. But in our body, we are still to expect that full redemption when Christ comes and we are redeemed to be in our glorified state, redeemed fully in body as well. And until that time, the Holy Spirit serves as a guarantee that we are separated for God, we belong to God, that he has ownership over our lives. Now, it's almost as an engagement ring. Think about it that way, right? That serves as a guarantee. You think about a relationship, any type of relationship that's getting serious now, and the the guy goes to the girl and says, would you marry me? Yes, I would, but you better put a ring on it now, right? You better show me that you're serious. 
You see, the, the Holy Spirit is a guarantee. It's a pledge now. It's almost as you're saying, I'm going to buy that house. Or I'm going to buy that car. You, you place a down payment now. You use that engagement ring to serve as a guarantee that, yes, in fact, we are going to be together. It's, it's to now signify that commitment now. Just think about it as Christ is the bridegroom and the church is the bride. So the Holy Spirit is that down payment. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5, it says, Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. What is that that God has given us? That Spirit of his guarantee. And it speaks of it until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. What is the guarantee serve for it guarantees us two things it guarantees that we will receive the inheritance that he has promised of eternal life but it also guarantees that we belong to him and until we are here waiting for our ultimate redemption that he has purchased for us the resurrected glorified body the holy spirit serves in place to seal us to separate us unto that It's been said before that the guarantee is the life of God. The Holy Spirit, the guarantee is the life of God in the soul of man. It's the life of God in the soul of man. It's the life of Christ flowing through you that has separated you when you've been born again. But why has this taken place? Well, it's taking place to the praise of his glory. (laughs) It's taking place so that he would receive all the glory. What is this? These verses remind us that the true riches are riches that come from God. And because of that, we can find great encouragement. And those riches that come from God are only coming because of his grace, because of his goodness. For the glory of God, we can rejoice in our freedom now. And use our freedom that we've been set free to serve the Lord and serve others. But first, we ourselves must experience that freedom. We would say, Lord... Would you deliver me? Would you set me free? Because this is your goodness. You've made this available to me. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, to finish, Paul tells the church of Colossians, he has delivered us. What has he done for you? He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of his son, of his love, because he loves you. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins. He has delivered us through his blood because of his love for us. Maybe today you want to experience that freedom. The freedom that only comes in Jesus Christ. Where you're set free. Where your trust is not in your own self. Where your trust is not in your own strength. But your trust is fully in Jesus Christ. Knowing, Lord, thank you because you've set me free. Lord, thank you because of your grace that you've lavished in an extravagant, generous way on my life. And because of that, now I have wisdom, I have prudence, I can walk in understanding. And everything, all the riches that I have are in in Christ Jesus. But Lord, thank you for your redemption. Well, I want you to know that today, you can also be redeemed. He can pay the price so that you can be set free from anything of that which pulls you away from the Lord, that he's willing to pay that price for our sins right now. 
Let's go ahead and pray. For his grace, he's saying, praise God that it's been not because of what we deserve. Because we don't deserve his grace. What we deserve is judgment. A lot of times we think, well, I don't deserve this. But if, if you really want what you deserve, it's judgment. So please, don't pray for that. You know what we ought to ask for the Lord? Ask for his grace. Because it meets you in every time of need. It gives you the strength in every time of need. When we're struggling with sin, it gives you the strength. When we're in weakness, it gives you the strength. When it comes to our holiness, it directs you his grace and it pulls you into the Father. It is the goodness of God, almost as we think of the prodigal son who saw the goodness of the Father that was running towards the son now and he saw the grace of the Father that he didn't deserve that grace and he ran into the Father's now purpose and plan. You see, this is what he's referring to and it brings them great pleasure. It's not what we deserve. Grace is God's favor as a gift. And you know what the grace of God did here in verse six? By which he made us. Again, us, the saints. Those that are faithful in Christ Jesus. He made us accepted in the beloved. Now aren't you glad that we're not accepted because of our works? It's not because of how good you are because the Bible says we're not good. <laughs> it's not because you came to church. It's not because how many verses you can recite He's accepted you in his son. He's made you accepted in the beloved. What is the beloved? The one he loves. He has made you accepted because of the one he loves. We are accepted in the presence of the father because of the beloved son. Because of the beloved son, the only begotten beloved son. You see this word accepted, write this next to your Bible. It means the word belong. <laughs> belong. This is a word, and this is something that everyone is created with a sense of wanting belonging. We want to belong. We want to belong to a family. We want to belong to friends. We want to belong to a community, something, a belonging. And God has given us that void. He's created us with that sense or that void, that emptiness of wanting to belong so that we would crave belonging. It would only be satisfied in fellowship because of the grace of God. So he has caused you to belong now in a relationship with the Father because he's shown now his grace through the sacrifice of the Son because of Jesus. Now we belong to the Father. There are often times that we struggle with wanting to belong in different places of this world. We want to be accepted. We want to be approved by other people, but our acceptance to God is much more important than how we ought to be accepted before people. There are too many times that as believers, we struggle with wanting the approval of man instead of the approval of God. And we have to come to Jesus Christ because know this, we will not be accepted in our own self. We desperately need the acceptance of God. And God will not accept us by ourselves in his presence. We need to come in Jesus. God will not accept us in our strength, in his presence. We need to come in the Son. Because of our sinful nature, we are unacceptable to him because his holiness rejects sin. But because we're in the beloved, the Son, Jesus Christ, because the blood of Jesus washes us from every sin, 
Now we are accepted. Now we're adopted. Now we belong in the very presence of the Father. How many of you guys can praise God for that this morning? Colossians chapter 1 verse 13 says this, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. What, did, what has he done because of his grace? Delivered us from the power of darkness. Delivered us from the power of darkness. Maybe today you want to run towards the grace of God because that's the only way that you can have deliverance from the power of darkness. You want to experience the riches of his grace so that you know his peace. And you're here, you're saying, well, I need that peace that the Bible speaks about, the riches of his grace. I want to experience now every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. I want to be delivered from the power of darkness. Well, that power of darkness that holds on to your life until you run to the grace of God. Let's go ahead and pray.